Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Monday, June 27th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. And have I been busy thinking for myself? Hence the title to this podcast, How Gender Identity Replaced Dating and Politics Replaced God. Let me start with this. There is a biological imperative, one of many, and the one in particular that I want to focus on is the biological imperative to reproduce. So there are many biological imperatives for living beings, for living organisms. Some of them are like survival and territorialism and competition with humans, quality of life seeking or group forming, but also reproduction. And that's the one I want to focus on because as a biological imperative, the implication to that is, is that we are somehow predisposed to seek to reproduce. And I believe that in humans, as in other species as well, but particularly, let's, let me stay limited to humans, the process that gets us to reproduction or gets us to attempt to satisfy that desire or that imperative to reproduce is first attraction to someone and then courting or dating, whichever word you're more comfortable with, Both of those are precursors to reproduction. This is why I say that gender identity has replaced dating. Young people don't date anymore. It's just a fact of where we are in our culture. I guess part of it is thanks to the technology. You can swipe left or right, or you can go on online dating or even less moral sites where you're meeting to either hook up, and it's not about reproduction, it's just about satisfying a sexual urge, or you're just simply looking to meet someone for a one or two night stand in terms of not even having sex, but just having something resembling a social life because we have an inherent desire to do that as well. But kids don't do it. Young people don't do it. I think people as far as into their 30s and 40s don't really date anymore. And courting is almost a word out of antiquity. It's almost laughable. I mean, I have a daughter who's 29 years old, and I know that she has met guys on apps, and she has met them through other means. And there is no sense of courting. There is no sense of dating. There's more a matter of is there an attraction and do we go to bed? Now, I'm not saying that that's been her MO, but I think that's what she's encountering. And I think it's very common for an awful lot of young women who are encountering the same thing. Not a rabbit hole I want to go down. I want to stay with this biological imperative that has to be satisfied in some way. So when you take dating and courting out of the equation, But what remains is the biological imperative. 
There are a couple of interesting articles that came out recently. One is called The Assault on Children's Psyches, and it's written by Leon Sapir. The subtitle of the article is California's Ethnic Studies Curriculum is Fueling a Mental Health Crisis Among Teenagers. And the reason that I think it's important is because it leads to the content of two other articles that have come out also very recently. One is by Kate Julian, and she wrote in The Atlantic. And I'm going to quote what she wrote in The Atlantic because I want you to hear it directly from her, but then I'm going to elaborate on it. Quote, several of the parents I spoke to told me that their daughter's friends all identify as non-heterosexual, despite none of them having ever kissed another teenager or been in a romantic relationship. The quote goes on, LGBT identity is for them not related to sexual attraction or behavior. She writes that this country, young people in particular, are going through a sex recession, end quote. And she says that whereas in, for example, 1991, most teenagers would have had at least one sexual encounter by the time they graduated high school, by 2017, most of them had had none, had had no sexual encounters. So again, the quote goes on. The vacuum left by the hollowing out of several of the parents I spoke to told me that their daughter's friends all identify as non-heterosexual. The vacuum left by the hollowing out of what I talked about, the courting and, and the dating relationships, has been filled, so it seems, by an inward form of sexuality. And this is the important part. What has substituted it is an inward form of sexuality in which the sexual side of our nature becomes a purely private experience. Think about that. Sexuality in which the sexual side of our nature becomes a purely private experience. You know, there's an expression, nature abhors a vacuum. And I think That's exactly what has happened with the death of dating, the death of adolescent and young adults' social relationships around dating and courting, and even let's go so far as to mating. I think the vacuum filled by the absence of that is being filled with this concept of gender and gender identity, because you have to do something with that energy. You know, I've spoken about in several other podcasts, one, I think two podcasts ago, creative energy formed the universe. It formed the reality that we live in. And that creative energy is reproductive energy because out of nothing or out of something came our universe, came the cosmos. And that energy of creation is inherent in all of us. Now, the way we manifest it physically is this biological imperative to reproduce. Reproduction is creative energy. It's coming through the sexual channel of reproduction. But if you don't use it that way, it has to be used in another way. There are healthy other ways to use it, and there are destructive other ways to use it. And in past podcasts, I've talked about those destructive ways. 
I've talked about when people turn to alcohol or drugs or any kind of addiction, even if it's food, when people turn to, to, to addictive behavior, it's because the reproductive slash sexual slash creative energy in them doesn't have an outlet. And it is basically jamming up inside of them and causing them to be in incredible pain, whether it's emotional, physical, or psychological, because that energy must leave the body and it must leave the psyche. And I would also argue that it must leave the soul. And when it doesn't, it's very destructive because like, I guess I would liken it to cortisol, right? We have this hormone in us that is there for specific narrow purposes when we're attacked and our, our existence is threatened. But if cortisol continues to be released in the human body over time due to non-physical life-threatening stresses, such as living in the 21st century in a world of high-tech, it's very destructive and it causes physical disease to the body and deterioration. Well, I would argue that the same thing is happening with creative slash sexual clash reproductive energy, which is when it doesn't leave the body, it has to go somewhere. It doesn't leave the psyche. It doesn't leave, it doesn't have an outlet for that biological imperative. And what's happening with young people, because we've taken away their vehicle for connecting with the opposite sex in any meaningful way. We've taken that away by eliminating dating and courting and all of the social interactions that would normally be happening to people who have this biological urge at an appropriate time in their psychological and biological development. It has to go somewhere. And so it's staying inside. And when it stays inside, it becomes exactly that thing I referenced moments ago, where that sexual side of our nature becomes a purely private experience. Hence, we have all these people identifying as different sexes than they biologically are. Some of them identifying as animals, some of them identifying as objects. It's perversion of the energy and it's the perversion that results from the energy not leaving the body, the psyche, the soul in a healthy way. Hence, nature abhors a vacuum. It will fill it, whether it fills it constructively or it fills it destructively. Another article, actually an interview done by Matt Tibby of Karen Dansky, a phenomenal interview, highly informative because Karen Dansky was an early feminist. And in this article, she talks about why true feminists have a real problem with this whole gender identity thing. She says that the whole identity thing has to do with one's own feelings about oneself, and it has nothing to do with sexuality. And then she goes on to say the quote I love the most, which is, if you believe something, then you don't have to think for yourself. Now, we all know why I love that quote, but what she's saying is, if you believe this perversion, if you believe that you can have an identity that has nothing to do with your sexuality, and that it somehow becomes your sexuality, you somehow become that thing you identify with, 
then that has nothing to do with sexuality. It has something to do with how you feel about yourself. And again, I come full circle to say that you don't feel good about yourself when you don't have healthy outlets for the natural energy flows that are inherent in all of us and are there for specific reasons to be channeled and used and manifested and interacted with in specific ways. Okay. That was vacuum number one. Let's talk about vacuum number two, which is how politics has replaced God. Again, referencing earlier podcasts, we've taken God out of every aspect of our lives, except those who are deeply religious, right? And who still go to church or go to synagogue on a regular basis. And those people are waning by the minute. Basically, everything having to do with God has been written out of what I call the public discourse or the public square. And this started way back, probably what, in the 70s, when we started to take things like the Pledge of Allegiance and a moment of silence out of school. And you couldn't use the word God. And it just escalated from there. And then God sort of became a dirty word in our culture where there was something wrong with you if you still had any religious leanings. And those who did were right-wing, crazy, conservative Christians or extreme Orthodox Jews or crazy Muslims who were following the Quran. It all became a negative context, a belief in a superior being. And so when that was taken out of the culture, and I would go back to the founders and and call your attention to the fact that they were deeply religious people. If you ever go to Washington, D.C., there are symbols and visual reminders of the founders' commitment to the Old Testament, to Moses, and to the founding principles, and to the Ten Commandments. And there, there is no separation of church and state in our Constitution, another misperception due to lack of education. The only thing the Constitution says about church and state is that the state shall not establish a religion or prevent anyone from pursuing their own. So let me come back from the founders to where we are today. We've created a vacuum by taking this entire concept of a superior being or a higher intelligence or a creator out of the public discourse. Hence the vacuum. But something has to fill it. And what has filled it are things like climate change or abortion rights. Because those are religious zealots, the people who are on those bandwagons, they are in fact religious zealots. So I would argue that climate change and abortion and politics became the new religion. Pick one or include all three as the three branches, however you want to look at it. Maybe that's the new trinity, politics, climate change, and abortion. It has filled a vacuum and like gender, because it isn't the highest and possible best use of those energies, they're both perverse. Gender identity is perverse and politics, abortion, climate change are all perverse. They're perverse substitutes for the real thing. In the case of gender identity, the real thing is sex. 
and healthy social relationships between the two sexes. The perversion with politics is that it is the perversion of our inherent knowing that there is an intelligence, a creator, a being, a source of all that is smarter and grander and more infinite and eternal than we are. And that somehow it has an intelligence that is at the moment yet still beyond our comprehension and may forever be. But now we have little gods, we have false idols. And the false idols are our politicians and those people who advocate at the top of their voices and as public and front and center as they can for gender identity, for abortion, for climate change, and for politics. Now, I cannot and would not tell you that there's no good in any of those. They all have aspects to those subjects, to those issues that have merit. But they have been so subsumed, they have been so overwhelmed by the zealotry that has taken over those issues that they lose their credibility. And what is of merit? Because there's merit in an argument about instances where abortion is the right decision, right? Life of the mother. Gender identity. Well, gender, it's a social construct. And there may be reasons to talk about why it isn't always the the best thing to forbid a little boy to play with girls' dolls. Or it isn't always the best thing to not encourage a girl to believe that she can be everything and anything, including, you know, a coal miner if she wants to. There's aspects to climate change that are real. We do damage and a reckless disregard for nature when we only think of ourselves in satisfying our immediate needs and not looking at the long-term needs of a living planet and the other inhabitants of that planet that aren't human. But again, like all zealots, whether they are zealots of organized traditional religion, or they are zealots of cults, or they are zealots of abortion or gender identity, or politics, or climate change. They are in fact that, zealots. They rob their cause of its authenticity and its merit, and unopposed, they destroy a culture. So I'm very grateful to the Supreme Court this week for standing by the Constitution, because the Constitution as drafted actually has checks and balances for how out of whack our human natures can take us at times. And this past week, our Supreme Court didn't do anything that was right-wing or extreme. They shouldn't be banished. The court shouldn't be packed. They shouldn't be, God forbid, assassinated. They shouldn't be disbanded, as some lunatics in media have suggested. Keith Oberman, I think, for one, we should abolish the Supreme Court. You're left without a constitutional republic without that Supreme Court. And you're left with, as I said in my last podcast, a dystopian society, ultimately. So let's think about the proper use of energy. You know, in my book, which I never remember to promote on this show, on this podcast, my book is on Amazon, The Questions God Will Ask, Prepping for the Final Exam. It is all about 
the proper use of energy. It is all about the way energy is meant to be used and the way we misuse it. And most importantly, the questions you can ask yourself on a daily basis to know if you're using energy properly, the energy of existence, the energy of humanity, the energy that's given divinely created autonomous free-willed individuals like you and like me. That's it for today. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Wednesday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.